What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. You know, he was on the hit list, but yeah. he was actually in the park and he needed another year. I think he was like 10. And when we found the Arch Pecram and saw how old he was, it was a no-brainer which one to kill. I think this one might score a couple points more, but... Now, does anyone know if that ran, that ram ended up dying? The one next to him? The, bi- the big one in the middle? No, no, he's alive. He's yep. alive. Yeah, the guy that drew the tag... Um, you know, they do that auction tag, and then a resident draws a Kluani tag. Yeah. He saw that sheep. Really? Yeah, he was alive and well last last winter. Last so winter. he's got to be getting much bigger. Or do you think oh, he's no, slow he's, growth now? No, no, he's... Well, obviously, his growth slowed down a little bit, but yeah. he's amazing no matter what. Ugh. Like, his broom side is way over the nose. Mm-hmm. Like, incredible sheep. That's crazy. So you've been up to... Clo- Kluwani twice? Twice, yep. Actually, talking about dumb luck, the first doll sheep hunt I was ever on in my life was that uh, Jim Anthony hunt. Really? The replica's right in there. Really? Now, what year was that? 2007 or eight. Really? Yep. Bart Lancaster called and said, a guy backed out, you want to come up early? Because I... At that time, I was going up to British Columbia and working with Bart and doing some videotaping, editing, wrangling, cooking. Anything. Anything I could do just to be there, Yeah. right? I totally get it. No pay, nothing, right? (laughs) I totally get it. And he's like, come up early in July. We're going to go to the Kalani, do that. And so first doll sheep hunt I was ever on is 181-inch. Monster. One of the biggest ones ever killed in the Yukon. That's crazy. So... Yeah, it was cool. Fortunate. What is, for you, your first experience going up there, what was it like when you came over to the top of your first mountain? You know, up north, you know, growing up down, obviously in South Dakota, where you go to the Black Hills and they're all covered in trees, like the above Alpine, you know. Doesn't exist. It was It was really one of my, and even, you know, when I lived here in Montana, you know, we'd go to the mountains and stuff, but. To spend time above Alpine in the shale was one of the coolest things, you know, Mm -hmm. that I've ever done and still one of the coolest things I do. Like, I love it more Mm -hmm. than anything, getting to the top of a mountain, you know. (laughs) It's it's awesome. Well, like the picture you're just showing me from the top of the mountain, it's just you look at everything surrounding you and it's immense. It's immense and it's, you know, it's... uh, it's hard to explain, mm-hmm. right? And until you've been there and you've got been on top, like it's addicting now, <laughs> right? Like during this whole COVID thing, you sit around and that's what you dream about. Mm-hmm. Like I want to be in a high hanging alpine basin with a little lake on it. And, you know, that's where I want to be. All the time. Yeah. And I mean, and not all the time, you know, when you got kids and you got cows and you got all this stuff going on, you know. <laughs> You can't be, but that's the that's the getaway place, right? Like, yeah. when is my next opportunity to go be there? Mm-hmm. You know, that's, yeah, that's the dream. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. How many times have you experienced the northern lights up there? Oh, between spring bear hunting, you know, and and going, like, I think I went up with Bart, like, I don't know, five, six, seven years in a row. Mm -hmm. Like, more than I can count. Really? Yeah, it's amazing. I I barely got to see it one night on on uh, when I was up in BC, and it was the night that uh, Dallas had killed his ram, and it was super super faint. And the photo I took ended up really showing it really really well, but that was a bucket list thing for me in my life. And it's just like it happens so much up there. Was it so bright that it like lit up the country? Like, no, it just lit up the sky it was yeah. just a green filmy yeah. haze. Yeah. So it, it wasn't the hard lines and the, you know, paintbrush strokes that and you, you really get to see. Some of the coolest ones I've seen were the ones that are really moving, man. Mm-hmm. They're just, it's like, you know, a lava lamp. In know, the sky. In the sky. Nature is a beast. It's incredible. It's so powerful. Amazing. Yeah. It'll move you. Oh, man. It becomes it, addicting, like you said. If it doesn't, you don't go back. Yeah. Right. Like a lot of, you know, a lot of people just don't see it yeah. or whatever. And most of them that don't, you know, really don't get the opportunity to go enjoy it. It seems like, but I've been super fortunate Yeah, and I'm addicted to it. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny for me getting into it. Right. So I'm, I'm where you were probably in 93s when you started sheep hunting or was it no, not um, that long ago? The, the first sheep hunt I was ever on, ironically, was in, you know, Russia oh, on really? the Kamchatka Peninsula. The then, first, is that a snow sheep? Or? Uh, yeah, uh, bighorn, mm-hmm. which yeah, there's several different kinds of snow sheep, but it was Kamchatka bighorn. Mm-hmm. And that was in 2000. And it's the first curly horn sheep I ever seen. I was videotaping a lot of hunts and, you know, uh, I don't know, working in a taxidermy shop kind of in the industry a little bit and then some clients of the taxidermists were going over there and they, they said oh you videotape you want to come over and videotape and duh right so no brainer the first two curly horn sheep hunts i was ever on were two kamchatka bighorn sheep hunts and on the peninsula and what was that experience like oh it was incredible like you know i was in august it was you know it was so green and the weather was so beautiful and you're on a sheep hunt and then we got to we got to do a bonus brown bear hunt you know he had short hair and stuff but he was still coming to a salmon stream this giant brown bear no we way. watched come from like a mile away just lumbering in and it was incredible and then obviously it was my first trip you know out of country basically mm-hmm. so that was amazing Flying to Petropavlos for the first time, and you know, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. get it. I it's totally ain't, get it. Saint Kansas anymore, right? Well, it's, for me, my first ex- my first serious experience getting out of America was going into BC on the stone sheep hunt. You know, and I mean, I'd been to Mexico, but I don't really count that as anything because at the time I went, I was still able to travel to Mexico with a driver's license and not a passport. Right, and. uh you know, going from everything down there to flying in a bush plane into camp was, you know, insane. And, and you know, the first time is amazing that you get to do that. First time in a float plane. Um, I haven't done a float plane yet. And I grew up riding horses and on ranches and stuff. But the first time you 
get on a, a mountain horse and you got 30 miles, you know, six, eight mile, and those horses are going in for the first time. And, you know, Bart's like, hold on, man, because these horses want to, like, it's the rush, like, like, I miss that. You know, that's one of those things that I'll probably never do again. Bart, they don't have the area anymore. And well, you climb aboard a mountain horse that wants to go in the mountains and, you know. It's happening. And like, it's, like I said, you know, the, the, all that stuff when it happens the first time is, is incredible. And, you know, now, I hate to say it, but I'm getting old and have <laughs> been fortunate to do a lot of it. Before you got too old. Yeah. And, you know, it's just one of those things that, I, you know. Not that I take it for granted, but I'm glad I got to do it because mm-hmm. I'm probably never going to climb on the horse and do that long trail again. We'll go horseback hunting, but to trail in, it's just such a rush. They had 42 head of horses and they're all tied up and you got to tie them off all at the same time and you got to get on your horse because he ain't waiting for you to get on. Mm-hmm. And if you miss or, you know, it's a crazy thing. Wow. Amazing experience. Yeah. How long did you, you said seven seasons? Yeah, I think so. And I, the first season I started out there, like literally I was following oh. along with a, with a, uh, video camera following Bart around. And then it didn't take long to realize I was a way better cook than Bart and I had horse experience. So I think three years after that, I think my third year up there, he turned me loose with a pack string and a hunter and a, and a wrangler and went and, you know, to get after it. Go kill a sheep. Really? Yeah. And for you on that experience, did you feel pressure? Were you like, God, I got to find the biggest sheep? And um, what was that? What was that like? I was so green then. The biggest thing wasn't, uh, you know, I hadn't really got into the bighorns or the score of sheep. Mm-hmm. At that point in time, it was legal. You had to kill one that was legal, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, that, the pressure was to make sure he was full curl and over eight years old. And, you know, obviously, you know, at that point in time, I, you know, I was a greenhorn when it comes to running bases and links and thirds. And, you know, I didn't even know that terminology, right? Yeah. You were, you get their age right, make sure they break the nose and get them killed and get the hunter back home safe. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, yeah, it was an amazing rush to have, you know, Bart's been doing it since he was 14 years old. Right. And born in it born in it and to have him trust me to go do it you know with 16 18 head of horses was pretty cool confidence building oh breaking down walls yeah that's like every mountain you climb it it just the older i get climbing mountains is easier like it seemed so hard when i was young because you you didn't know what to expect and you know i've likened it to you know it's gonna hurt but you know if you keep taking steps you're gonna you're gonna end up at the top you're gonna be at the top that's so funny I I mean, for me, when I'm out hunting and I'm out hiking or, you know, if I've got a full pack and a heavy load, the most relieving thing the entire journey getting up to the top is that I know that it's going to hurt. I accept that it's going to hurt. And I just keep going one step at a time, even if it's just a couple inches at a time, you know, but I just continue going. And no matter what, I'm going to I'm going to summit. And you either enjoy that pain mm-hmm. or you don't. And I just assume that the people that don't go do it again didn't enjoy it. Yeah. Like, and uh, and the older I get, the more I enjoy the grind of it. And 
you know, the, I'm grateful to get to do it. It's addicting. It's addicting. And, and I'm great. I'm so grateful that I get to be on another sheep hunt. You know, mm -hmm. it's yeah, it's addicting. And once you get over that hump of, oh, this sucks, it hurts, you know, I can't breathe, my legs hurt. Then you just go, man, I'm getting in better shape. I'm going to be in such good shape when I leave this mountain. Yeah. You know, then you enjoy it. Right. Well, a good example would be like last year, Steph, who was, was helping out on some desert sheep hunts in California. I mean, she's a beast of a woman. Yeah. And she's up guiding. I don't remember where she was guiding, but I'll just defer and say that it was in BC because it's probably where she was. So she's out there leading horses, doing the whole deal. And then she comes down to California and she crushes California desert like nobody's business. Yeah. Better than better than 99% of us that we're all out there. And it's exactly that. The whole season, she's getting in better and better and better shape and just crushing mountains. You know, I haven't had the, I haven't been fortunate to hunt with her, but I've heard nothing but incredible things yeah. about her as a hunter, an outdoors woman. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. She's killing it. Yeah. <laughs> and she's so humble too. Like I've talked to her several times and. Yeah, she's not telling you about it. Yeah. You got to learn it from somebody else, right. which is really cool. Right. Well, that's why she got, you know. Guide of the year. Guide of the year. Yeah. Well-deserved. Absolutely. The buildup for that, you know, and watching Brady's excitement and her family coming into town was just. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty awesome. They're good people. They are. They're great people. Seriously. So, I guess introduce yourself. We've been recording for 13 minutes now. Just, you know, give you a heads up. Um, Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Break the ice, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, we've been, you've been at my house. Uh, Willie Hedinger is my name. I live in Harlowton, Montana. And, and uh, super happy to have Andy come and spend a little time at my home. And What a great adventure it is. Meet my here. family. and Yeah. Yeah. I love it here. I'm, 22 years ago, I came here trout fishing and never left. And I feel like that's a lot of story stories for people that have transplanted to Montana. It probably is. Like, like the fellow that we met or that I met at lunch today who was from Redding, California. Yeah. He was like, came up here 30 years ago, <laughs> yep. never left. Delivering bees. Yeah. And it's like, that's what I said too. I, you know, born and raised in South Dakota and kind of, I came out here for the first time trout fishing and was like, this is where I need to be. So growing up in South Dakota, were you initially in love with the outdoors back then as well? Growing up and, you know, ranching and everything that you did growing up? Yeah, my dad is a was a lifelong ranch hand. And, you know, so we grew up on ranches. So cowboy cattle, shit all life. cowboy shit the whole time. Yeah. And, but all throughout that, through my youth, my grand, my grandfather on my mom's side, Willie Combs, he um he was the fisherman, the hunter, and he started taking us fishing and the first white tailed deer I ever saw killed, I think I was in the, you know, third or fourth grade, he took me and my older brother out on this river bottom, drug us up into a cottonwood tree with no stand, just big cottonwood tree that you could crawl up into, and a beautiful five by five white tail walked down and he shot it with his two forty three and the neck and I've been hooked ever since, you know, and it's just obviously grown from, you know, whitetails and pheasants in South Dakota to, you know, 
And what was that journey like for you coming out of South Dakota and, and deciding to go full bore and, and push all in in Montana? Well, you know, that came so much later and it was, you know, more, it wasn't so much that I was looking and pushing for that. It just happened organically. Mm-hmm. Like growing up in South Dakota, I was, you know, had the bug for the hunting and fishing and then I discovered Montana. And when I first moved out here, I was a basketball coach, substitute teacher, you know, and, but <laughs> wait a minute, you were a substitute teacher. I, I actually have a degree <laughs> uh-huh. from South Dakota state university. Okay. And, um, I was in school kind of working my way towards being a teacher and a coach mm-hmm. was a really average college basketball player. And, you know, so I mean, you, you're built to be a basketball player. You're, you're fairly tall and yeah, I wasn't quite tall enough because I, you know, just wasn't good enough to be great. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but it was a great experience. I loved sports and, you know, don't regret it a bit, but anyway, I, I, that's, you know, I had a degree and, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, I came out here and the guy that I came out here trout fishing with, who's still one of my best friends, John Rosinski. He was the head football coach and teacher and principal and out here. And he's like, we need a basketball coach. And I go, perfect. I'm in. So got it. And then, so I was making about 1200 bucks a year to be the head boys basketball coach. And back then. For what grades? Um, high school. Oh, okay. High yeah. school. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then uh, substitute teaching, I think netted 33 bucks a day back then. Mm-hmm. So I was killing it financially crushing it making about 2500 bucks a year yeah um but all the while still you know hunting fishing you know and and um through it all i we i ended up going to uh, manitoba bear hunting one spring with a taxidermist friend of mine and he's like why don't you come work for me mm-hmm. in north dakota and i was like oh i don't really want to leave montana he goes just come for a while you know so i went rent an apartment there worked for six months in the shop you know, skin and flesh and so on. And yeah, I just wasn't for me working in the building. Right. So, but then I started doing deliveries for him because, you know, he liked how I interacted with people and, you know, I, I delivered taxidermy to every state, you know, in the United States, mm-hmm. not Hawaii, but what was Manitoba like? I have a friend, my friend Barrett lives up there and she's always trying to get me to go up there to go bear hunting. I'm addicted to that too. Really? Oh yeah, we didn't get to go this year because of COVID. But last year I took Little Willie, mm-hmm. and man, the fishing is unbelievable. And not everybody likes to sit in a tree stand over bear bait, but mm-hmm. I do. I love it. It's the most peaceful, awesome, you know, solitary thing. It's 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 the opposite of climbing that mountain, which mm-hmm. I love. But it also it just has that, you know, that effect on me that uh, I want to do it every spring. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, I went and worked for the taxidermist and one thing led to another. I started doing more and more of that. And then I went to the sheep show for the first time, just delivering taxidermy work. Went to the wild sheep show back when it was, you know, at the Grand Sierra, I believe, mm-hmm. you know, all, you know, everybody was all in the same building, but I didn't know a soul, didn't know a soul <laughs> except for Brian Cattermas. And at the opening banquet, I went through the food line, got my food and went and sat as far away in the far corner as I could get. Mm-hmm. Right. Was that because you were socially awkward and uncomfortable because no. you didn't know anyone? No, or? I just, you know, uh, you know, I didn't know anybody. Yeah. And I just, you know, told Brian, I said, I'm, you know, going to go sit back in the corner and just, you know. Watch. I'd never been there. Spectate. Right? And 
Bart Lancaster walked all the way over there and sat down and said, you sitting with all your friends? <laughs> and I said, so far, yes. <laughs> That's exactly who I'm sitting with. And the rest is literally history. What a great introduction. Yeah. And he saw some of the videos I'd done in Russia. We videotaped all those sheep hunts and edited them. And I'll never forget, you know, we put rock and roll music to it. Mm-hmm. And Bart is as honest and as true of anybody I've ever met in the hunting industry. And he's the first guy I met, really. And it stood the test of time. We're still great friends. He um, he said, well, your video is incredible, but your music sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, that I ended up helping Bart edit a bunch of his, you know, Bart Lancaster videos and, and that's kind of how it all started. But, you know, as far as pushing for it, like it was never one of those, I'm going to be working in the outdoors. It just happened. Yeah. And, you know, I think mostly cause I never did take that job that I got a, you know, I had the ability to be free and open and kind of freelance and yeah, live broke. And, and, but when an opportunity comes about, then you can jump on it. Yeah. You know, I totally if you're relate not tied to down. Yeah. You, you, you you're living it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I'm in the start. I'm in the start of it. Well, I hope I'm in the middle, but it feels <laughs> like I'm getting older and might see the light at the end of the tunnel, but yeah. So I'm going to take it back to basketball coach and, and substitute teaching again. So what was that like getting to work with kids and be a coach and a mentor, you know, as well as having a passion and love for the outdoors and, and did you get to instill any of your passion and love of the outdoors into the kids that you were coaching? Did you bring any of that into the field? Um, yes and no. I'll, what I'll tell you about that experience was the kids were awesome. I loved the coaching of the kids and the teaching of the kids, not only basketball, but life skills, you know, tried as hard as I could, right? Yeah. But, man, that dealing with parents was really hard. Difficult. Because they have a vision for their kid that's different than usually than what their kids what the reality is what the reality of their kid's talent is and what their kid's vision is. You know, they a lot of parents want their kid to be great way more than their kid wants to be great. But overall, super positive experience and glad I did it. It just was one of those things that, you know, obviously wasn't something. We well, grew I, out of it. I grew out of it. Yeah. I grew out of it and. You know, financially, I was starving eventually, right? Like, you got to do something else. You got to figure it out. Yeah. And I didn't want to be a full-time teacher because if you're a full-time teacher and somebody calls and says, hey, you want to go to Russia and videotape my sheep hunt? Ain't happening. Not doing it. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was super cool chapter in my life and learned a lot. And, you know, I'd take, we'd t- I'd take the team ice fishing and stuff like that, you know, to answer your question. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for the most part, at that time, I did my coaching thing, and then, man, as soon as I got done with practice, I was going to get in a tree stand or something. Go try to catch a bugle and elk or something. Mm-hmm. So, for your passion in sheep, and and that growing, how do you think that that refocused your life and and kind of what you were doing at the time when you first started getting into it, and and then. Uh, running into Lancaster and really starting to dive in, you know, full tilt, like, okay, this is the experience. This is the lifestyle I want, you know, and, and like you said, becoming addicted to everything that was going on. How do you feel like that shaped and formed you? 
Well, I mean, as it started, you know, once I did it, it's one of those things like we talked about. Like that first experience was I don't ever want to spend – because just the back – while I was doing that teaching coaching thing, I was also a carny kind of. I had a food booth at the Sturgis Bike Rally. Did you really? Yeah. Wait a minute. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, keep hey. going, and then we're going to go back to Sturgis. So Sturgis is always the first two weeks of August, mm-hmm. right? And for 10 years, I had a food booth there. I served Indian tacos and fajita burrito wraps and right on Main Street. And we'd work our tail off. And, and so do you, do you, did you ever own a motorcycle? I've never owned a motorcycle. You just loved going. No, it was just one of those things where, uh, like a, a vagabond like us, you can make really good money in two weeks. Yeah. And then after that, you can go hunting and, you know, whatever, right? I wasn't smart with the money, for sure. But mm-hmm. um, so anyway, then w- w- that kind of ended with, an, you know, the South Dakota Department of Revenue auditing me one year, the last year, and sucking the life out of me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, met Bart, went up there in 2005 for the first time. And like I said, I I was like, I will never spend another August 1st anywhere but BC. Mm-hmm. And then you piggyback that on the first couple of years, I, you know, I did it for nothing, right? Nothing. And then the second year got a couple tips, right? And go do that Kluani doll sheep hunt. And Jim Anthony, you know, was an extremely generous dude. And it was like, man, you can make money doing this. And, you know, and in the, in intertwined in all that, you know, down here in the 48s, I start to realize that, you know, there's big orange sheep right here and some of the biggest in the world. And me I hear you mean in Montana, in Montana where I live. Right, which I didn't even know when I moved here. Mm-hmm. Right, like bighorn sheep were not on my radar at, at all. all. It was elk and trout and white-tailed deer, and then all of a sudden, you know, going to Russia, sheep, British Columbia, you know, it just kind of starts to all spool together to the point where, you know, I meet Bart, I meet a guy by the name of John Barker, who owned an outfit in Idaho, and you know, he calls me and says, "Hey, you want to come help on a bighorn sheep hunt?" Absolutely. Which ran down there, did that. And it's like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things where sheep hunting, you know, started, it, I was looking for it, right? You're just hunting, like you get that high and now you start looking for it. Mm-hmm. And so I'd go to <laughs> British, uh, go to British Columbia for two weeks and stone sheep season was kind of over and packing moose wasn't near as much fun. So I'd, I'd tell Barta, like, I'm out of here. Go down, John Barker, Idaho season opened first of September or whatever, end of August, roll right into bighorn sheep season. And, you know, once I got that passion and then you start to just fill yourself with it. And then all of a sudden, like I said, people start paying you to do it. And then you start getting tips and then, and then through all that, you increase your knowledge, right? Like, and like I've said about a lot of things, you either get better at stuff or you, you'd find something else to do. It's kind of like teaching the coaching, you know, I, I, tapped out of it like didn't didn't have the passion to go on and keep learning and keep moving forward with it whereas sheep hunting was you know i couldn't get enough of it (laughs) couldn't get enough of it 
you know, I totally, you know, yeah, you know I, you're I, in the middle of it right now. Like, yeah, where can I go next? Yeah. Can I go with you? Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that, that really hasn't changed, you know, mm-hmm. through all that, you know, wife and kids. And like I said, now it's that part of it's changed quite a bit, but man, I just got back from New Mexico, did three sheep hunts down there. Yeah. Was, I saw that. It was as awesome as it's ever been, you know? So in this, in the beginning, developing your talent, how difficult was it for you to, and you spoke to it a little bit, uh, judging mass, you know, and base and, and length of horns and all that. How hard was that for you in the beginning? And I'm sure, I mean, I can't imagine that you guys were using Swarovski glass or anything like that back then. Um, no, I couldn't afford a spotting scope, you know, <laughs> to, uh, we were beg stealing and borrowing and, and, um, I, f- my first pair of Swarovski binoculars I found on the, along the trail up in British Columbia had a cracked prism. I brought them back. They fixed them for a hundred bucks. And so then I had a nice pair of binoculars, but they were older. But as far as that, it's total experience. Like I didn't know shit when I first started, like I, the first year that we did the governor's tag here in Montana, I'll never forget going up there and going, Oh, that Ram looks huge. But I have no idea how big he is. Mm-hmm. None. He could have been 15, 17 on the base. It's it's all about putting your hands on as many as you possibly can mm-hmm. and measuring them, touching them, looking at them through a spotting scope, taking pictures of them, reference photos. It's just like anything else in life. You either you learn it and get better at it or you don't. And I still miss way more than I get right. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty fun and... Yeah, it's just experience. You just gotta, you, you gotta do it. You gotta be, it's hands on, and you gotta measure sheep. You can't just go by what other people say. You can't look at a photo and say that ram's one ninety five, and you go, oh yeah, he looks one ninety five. The only way you can really get good at it is to put your hands on him and wrap tape on it, the right way, and measure them. And then you can reference the photo you took of that sheep to the measurements you took yourself. You know, and then you can kind of start to get better at it and process of at least be within a half an inch on the base and, you know, half an inch on the length. Yeah. And the rest of the age rings comes down to usually how old the sheep is or what region they're in or, you know, if it's a thin horn or big horn or whatever. Mm-hmm. So. And in Montana, you started, <clears throat> you started guiding in Idaho first and, and being involved and then obviously you, you got involved in the Montana culture and sheep hunting in Montana. What was that like coming up bighorn hunting in Montana and, and getting into the breaks and kind of understanding it and learning it? Well, in, in the early years, it was like Jurassic Park, right? Like, <laughs> you, I mean, you didn't have to be a genius to go up there and kill a big ram. Like back in 2008, I think, when 2008 or nine, when Jim Anthony bought the governor's tag. And so I'd been on a doll sheep hunt with him. So then he buys Montana. Right. And you know, that was my first chance to go the breaks. And, you know, which, like I said, it's where the dinosaurs live, you know, for size of sheep. Right. And so as far as that goes, Montana is really, you know, I don't want to say easy, but back then there was a great big Ram literally around every corner. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's all changed now because they bumped the tag numbers and, man, it's, you know. Slim the, pickings, the, getting well, slimmer. 
Yeah, the genetics are still there. There's, you know, obviously big rams get killed every year, but it's just not as many, and mm-hmm. the age class has gone way down. People you know? are not holding out. Well, that, and when you bump it from, I think it was, back in the day it was like 15 on the north side and 10 rams on the south. Now it's 25 on the north. So you figure, you know, 10 year, 10 rams, you know, that's 100 rams that get killed over a 10-year period. That's a lot. Yeah. Age class goes down. Like, they're still killing big, young, five, six, seven-year-old rams that would be, you know, way over 200 if they lived to be 10, mm-hmm. you know. But anyway, it it was awesome, and it was incredible learning experience, you know. And like I said, it wasn't – you didn't have to be a genius to kill a great big one. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it, if you can call that talent or whatever. It's just being in the best place, yeah. right? There's areas that are – that's like Kluani for doll sheep. It's the best place, one of them, not the best, but one of them. Mm-hmm. So you go to the best place and you find the biggest ram in the best place, he's probably going to be pretty big. Yeah. So in the midst of all this, obviously you met your wife. Kind of goes back to the Sturgis thing, right? Oh, okay. So Danica is 11 years younger than me, uh-huh. and she actually worked for me at Sturgis. When mm-hmm. I moved here and was a basketball coach, her dad owns the Stockman's Bar, and she was just in, she was in college and she was looking for a summer job. And I was down having a beer with Harry and Harry's like, oh, you should have Danica come work for you. Said, All right. Yeah. I always need help. So anyway, that's how that relationship started. <laughs> the Sturgis <laughs> summer of love. Yeah. Well, it was kind of <laughs> after that, but anyway. So it wasn't an employee employer. No, no. <laughs> came later. That came later. I'm just busting balls. Yeah. So, um, so she kind of knew what your lifestyle was like at that point in time. She know. did. When we first started actually kind of dating, I was in the height of it. Like I was gone all the time, right? Like I, you know, here and there. And, you know, I think for instance, one time I, I went to British Columbia, August or July 25th, trailed in, went up there for two and a half weeks, got back, went to Idaho didn't come back to Montana um, till second week of September, first week of September. Got home from there, went to Africa for a 21-day safari, videotaped it for a guy. You know, like gone for two months. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, at that time, I think I lost 15 or 20 pounds throughout that two months. <laughs> you know, it was just like going, going. And she was like, you haven't eaten for two months. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so she knew. That was that, and she's never questioned it. And you're looking around my house here; she's super cool with all the taxidermy and the yeah. trophies and whatnot. So, so she's awesome. Well, she she's a she's a rock, especially when you have kids and you are gone for a week or ten days at a time. You know, you got to have somebody at home that's awesome. Well, and I was going to get to that. I mean beneficial for you that when you guys kind of started dating that you were in the peak of everything that was going on so she kind of had a full taste of this is what life will be like with willie if i choose to stick around and i mean obviously she's she's chosen to to stick by your side and now you know here you are years later and and exactly to your point of what you're talking about she's your rock she's your your foundation totally and it Everything you said is exactly true. And our first actual date, we went to Manitoba bear hunting. Really? 
Yeah, and I, I mean, <laughs> was it like I an ideal first date for her or an ideal first date for you? You know, I think it was for both of us. I made really? her pay for it. Oh, she paid twenty five hundred bucks. Yeah, and she went and she whacked a bear with her bow, and you know, we sat in the tree stand together, and I videotaped it, and it was like. She loved it. She didn't fake it. She didn't, you know, it wasn't, you, yeah, you can tell, right? And so, yeah, it was, you know, it was the real deal at that point, mm -hmm. right? So it was a good test. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it was, yeah, it was the ideal date. And, <laughs> yeah, it's it's been awesome. She And she's a hunter, too. She's killed more mountain lion than I have. Really? In Montana, yeah. She's a mountain lion hunter. Yeah. That's pretty badass. Her ex-boyfriend was a houndsman. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> That's where it birthed out of. Yeah. 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 No, it was awesome. She's awesome. And yeah, family's, family has superseded my sheep hunting, right? Mm -hmm. I still love it. I still do it. Um, well, I mean, obviously, and, and you have a, a knack and a talent for it, you know, which, you know, as you said, was almost born in a, in the corner of the sheep show room by yourself and you know, fast forward 14 years later to where you are today, you know, and, and you have the wonderful opportunity to go on so many hunts in so many places for so many different species of animals, you know, it's, it, yeah. And, and, you know, for me, like a lot of things in life, it's about people, right. And whether or not you can relate and get along with people. And in the early years, you know, I was going on 12, 15 sheep hunts a year. That's a lot of different clients. That's a lot of different people, a lot of different guides. You know, I've narrowed that down quite a bit now, but, you know, you got to be able to relate to people. You got to, you know, people. Be enjoyable company you on gotta the mountain. You got to be enjoyable, and, and you have to enjoy that. And that is, you know, one of the most enjoyable things is the people that I've met, you know, throughout this whole journey have been incredible, like you. Yeah. You know, I met you on the sheep transplant. You know, mm -hmm. and it's super cool. And, you know, with social media now, it's kind of embarrassing to say that I've, you know, we don't talk that much, but, I, you know, mm -hmm. you can keep up with somebody pretty good on yeah. Instagram or whatever. But, yeah, it's it's a people it's a people world. Right. And, well, one of my favorite things was I can't remember who it was, but somebody was like, there's no way that Willie would allow you to interview him. He just won't do it. And I looked at him and I was like, watch me. <laughs> and when you approached me about it then, like. <laughs> you were like, who's this crazy ass clown? <laughs> no, I just, I don't know. I just, it seems like there's way more interesting people out there, mm -hmm. right? Like, and there are in my eyes, but. Everybody has a story. And we talked about this earlier. Yeah. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a journey and an adventure and everybody's is different. Yeah. No, no one's adventure is exactly the same. You know, of your adventure and 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 my adventure are relatable, which is definitely something that you spoke to already. Um, as far as relatability between people and and all that, which totally has been epic. It yeah, it has, and that's that goes back to part of it. Like I said, I've met so many great people throughout this thing, and you know, not everybody's great, mm -hmm. right? But there's always bad seeds. It is. I mean, some of my best friends, like I said, they live in California. They live in British Columbia. You know, they don't live in my hometown. Mm -hmm. You know, and I got a lot of great friends here too. But you know, it's created quite a 
community of friends across the the globe, really. Yeah. Which is awesome. A wide network. A wide network. And yeah. then, you know, back to your point about how you kind of get in the sheep world. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're in it long enough and you do create some relation, like, I can't hardly get out of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's like every time you turn around, where should I put in? You know, if I draw, will you take me? Mm-hmm. You know, you're getting into that pretty big right now, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, when when people find somebody that they like and like being on the hill with, there's a demand for it. Mm-hmm. You know, so. There is. And I was talking with uh, a guy last, the other week when I was in New York, and he was telling me about some of the hunting camps that he had done and, and how much he enjoyed it. The hunt was amazing, and the hunt's always going to be amazing. But he really spoke to how important the camp crew was, you know, and everybody that would be on the hunt. Because he'd be five, six, seven guys on the hunt. And what that and what that experience brings to the table for the overall experience, you know, instead of just, you know, the one-on-one, you know, guide and the hunter. And, uh, it's, it's amazing when you get a group of selfless people together mm-hmm. with one common goal, like the best group that I've ever been with was this last year on the Kluani hunt, mm-hmm. because it was a couple different factions, you know, Dave Dixon and his family outfit the hunt and, um, Jimmy likes to have his guys there, right? Mm-hmm. Which that's, I'm one of them. You're the crew. Yeah. And then, you know, we've hunted with Bart Lancaster and then Bart has, Roger Oler, who's a, a, you know, phenomenal, one of the best young, talented hunters out there, period. And so Jimmy wanted them involved. And so that brings a, you know, and, and Dave has his main guy, Elijah Anderson, who's phenomenal, and Thomas Dixon, his son. And it, I've never been with a crew more focused on one thing, all selfless, not for their gain, but for, you know, the client. Mm-hmm. For Jimmy and for the group. And for the love of sheep. And for the love of sheep and the, and the love of the opportunity to get to go do it. Yeah. You know, like we get to be there, right? Mm-hmm. And and it was amazing. And when you and when you, when you get that, man, there's nothing better. You know, it's like the pictures you guys were showing me of your desert experience with, with Seacat and, mm-hmm. you know, playing wiffle ball or whatever <laughs> you guys are playing, right? Like, yeah. like it's the best. You get, a, you get a great crew and a great camaraderie. That was a wild ass week. And then that whole experience can be topped off if you kill a, you know, great animal or, you know, have success in that way. Mm-hmm. It's, that week we killed two rams over 170 in under 24 hours and it was just. Yeah. Right. Like, insanity. Yeah. When you top it off with that and you've yeah. got a great group. Yeah. It goes crazy. And they were in two separate units, <laughs> which was even more crazy. Yeah. yeah. You know. It's a cool thing. The adventure. It is. It, yeah. It's a whole package. So back to your wife and, and starting to raise a family and all that. Um, what was that like for you and, and having your son and, and, you know, going away and then coming back and then going away. How has that been for you as far as being a parent and, and getting into that realm? Well, it's been, you know, a little different and unique in my world because our first child, um, was born missing almost all of her cerebellum. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, we didn't know, right? Mm-hmm. She was born and she started missing markers and missing things. And we had several pediatricians tell us that she's just 
behind and you know everything's fine and so this ties into sheep hunting right mm -hmm. um so at she's born in january so at nine months in august we um like in july her eyes started to cross severely right and eye doctors we went and seen some you know people and one of the eye doctors is like i don't mean to scare you but i don't think this is you know physical i think this is neurological so we scheduled an MRI right during stone sheep season up in British Columbia. Mm -hmm. And I was scheduled to get to go, I was scheduled to go on a stone sheep hunt with legendary sheep hunters, Sam Jaxic and Todd Jaxic. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've heard of yeah. Sam was one of the legendary and Todd's the same way. And, and amazingly, I got to hunt with his son, Benny, helping complete the youngest Grand Slam ever. Three generations of Jaxics. It was pretty cool. Wow. So, um, yeah, first child, you know, have her, she's awesome, but she's behind and, you know, there's a little something in the back of your mind that thinks, you know, when they don't smile or coo and they don't roll over, but you got, you kind of trust your doctors, right? You think everything's just going to, you know, happen slower. Well, I'm literally in spike camp in British Columbia with Sam and Todd Jaxic. And we had scheduled an MRI for August 9th, I believe it was. And, you know, got back, stark, called home on the sat phone to see how the MRI went. And, you know, it was, for a parent, it was a kick in the guts, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and, you know, speaking of the rock at home, pretty devastating for Danica, right? Like, mm -hmm. the doctor was, you know, they're they're honest, right? And he's like, your daughter's never going to walk, never going to talk. She's going to be a vegetable. She's going to eat through a straw. You know, that's not good news. Heavy news. Yeah. So I obviously got on a horse, rode back, got flown out, came home immediately. And, but, so anyway, our, our, yeah, our, our, you know, our experience has been different than most, but not different from everybody. As we found out, you know, Mary is the blessing of our life. Right. And nothing has given me more perspective and gratitude for what's good. Right. And you appreciate what you have and you, you know, are grateful beyond grateful for, you know, the good things in life. Yeah. And so she's awesome. She's 11. She's, you know, yeah, I couldn't love her more. Right. And the one thing you learn or, you know, one thing that, you know, really is powerful is they're just your kid and you love them, right? And that's... Unconditionally. It's unconditional love. And, you know... And a testament to your character and your wife's character and your ability. You know what? And through it all, we've, you know, there's stats and, you know, the divorce rate is super high when you have a special needs child. And it's actually brought us together, right? Like... Good thing. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um but uh so you know, that was tough, but like I said, you know, the perspective on it is so she had her first seizure and we're in the Black Hills of South Dakota, and she's 
dying on the table, right? They didn't have diastat at the emergency room in Spearfish, South Dakota. Quits breathing on her own. Got an intubator. Um, get her to Rapid City. And, you know, she finally gets out of the seizure. She seized for 45 straight minutes as a year and a half old, you know. And we're in the hospital. And, of course, you're, you know, it sucks. Life is no fun at that point. And while we're in there, another kiddo comes in. And he's, I don't remember even what was wrong with him, but he had tubes coming out of him. And the next morning, he was gone, died, right? So the thing that we learned was, man, you don't have to look very far to find somebody that's got worse than you, no matter what it is, no matter how bad it is. Um, but like I said, she's a huge blessing. And then, you know, we waited three years and got a bunch of advice to not have another kid thinking it was, you know, could possibly happen again and blah, blah, blah. And they want to do all this testing. And, and, um, and we were like, you know what, if we have another Mary, it'll be twice as good. Right. So then little Willie came along and, you know, he's quote unquote normal <laughs> as can be. He's awesome. And yeah, couldn't love him anymore. Super They're, excited they for are, life. They are the direction, right? Like it becomes what you live for. Mm-hmm. And life really starts when you have kids, you know, you know, as far as giving of yourself and not, you know, chasing things for yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's a little emotional, but yeah, you know, for you and me both. Yeah. You, you've told me your story, man. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. And everybody has one and it's how you, like we talked about earlier, how you come through it, how you react to it, how you either makes you stronger or. Finding the positive and the negative. Finding the finding the good. Because mm-hmm. there's good in everything, you know. Always. Always. There's my favorite line in a song is a song by Ray Wiley Hubbard called Mother Blues. Mm-hmm. The days that my I keep my gratitude higher than my expectations, well, I have really good days. Mm-hmm. Right. There's always something to be grateful for, and. You just no gotta find what. it. And you gotta focus on it. You can't dwell on the negative and the and the you know the bad parts. Right. Brush the negative aside, or try to figure out how to fix it in a positive way. Yeah. You know. One hundred percent. So, anyway, yeah, having a family has changed it. It's, you know, obviously, it went from I don't care when I come home, I don't really want to come home. I want to stay <laughs> as long as I can. To, you know. Looking forward to it. Let's looking forward to it and trying to get done as soon as you can. So you can come back and not miss markers and have family vacations, family vacations. And, and yeah, I mean, when you, you have kids, man, you can't wait to get home. Like, Mm -hmm. especially, you know, little Willie's eight now and man, it's amazing how fast he's leading tours around. He's leading tours around town with my sister and my nephews and museum tours. Yeah. He's, he's an amazing little kid and he's an awesome little brother to little Mary, which she's going to need for the rest of her life. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah. And how has that been um, with him teaching him and helping him kind of understand the situation? You know, it's crazy. You know, kids are way smarter and more resilient than you give them credit for, right? Like he's never once, not one time asked why his sister doesn't talk or, you know, she's, she's just his big sister. That's it. Mm-hmm. And he loves her just like we do, right? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't, he doesn't judge her because you know he doesn't 
you know, when you're little like that, you know, I didn't know anybody like that growing up. So then you, part of you starts to think, you know, but having her as a big sister, he's, it's amazing how accepting of everything he is and other people and loving and caring that he is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a, it's a great thing. You know, I think it's, you know, I'm sure there's times and he has never said it, but I'm sure there's times he, you know, wishes she could play with him or do something with him. But, you know, it's created patience in him. Like, you know, it, you gotta be very patient. You know, as people who with special needs children know, like patience is a huge thing because you know, there's a lot of frustrating days, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's been incredible for Willie, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he's never once asked, not once, yeah. you know, which is pretty incredible, right? Remarkable. Like, he just accepts her. Mm-hmm. Says he can't walk. Says he can't talk. So... And he's in for it. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. No, he doesn't. No, he loves her to death, just like just like we do. Yeah, that's all you can do. Right. He helps whenever and however he can. So, how many sheep hunts do you think you've been on? Hmm. <laughs> you know, we got reined in on the Kluani last summer. Me and Elijah, when we were scouting, and he asked me that. And so I laid in my tent and tried to go through every sheep hunt. Yeah. But in my advanced age, I, I've thought of a couple since then. I think it's somewhere just over a hundred, mm-hmm. like, a, you know, and that's all over the globe. Yeah. That's everywhere. You know, Mongolia, Russia, Kyrgyzstan, Mexico, BC, you know, NWT, Alaska. And how's Mongolia? Mongolia is incredible. It's, you know, like if you can envision Montana, not, they're not as big a mountains. Like the high Altais are, are big, big mountains, but there's, there's not, a, there's not the trees, right? But no fences anywhere. Like you get in a car and you fly into Ulaanbaatar and you get in a car and you drive six hours on a two track, like you're out in a pasture and you never open a gate. You never see a fence. Like it's an incredible country, and the and I've always likened hunting high Altai Argali's to hunting, you know, two hundred and forty inch stone sheep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Yeah, I get it. They're like they look like stone sheep. They live in the country, same country stone sheep, except they're just enormous, enormous animals. It's it's amazing. I've been, I think Jimmy and I have been over there four times, and it's it's unbelievable, and and one of the most amazing experiences of my life was so um the people that we hired found a great big one and jimmy and i flew over there flew picked me up montana flew to anchorage refueled flew to ulaanbaatar jumped on a a caravan flew four or five hours landed out in the bush got in a land cruiser drove an hour and a half to the top of the mountain killed you know what's arguably one of the biggest rams ever killed by a human and jumped back on the caravan, flew to Ulaanbaatar, and Jimmy's boat was parked, his yacht was parked in um, south of France, Monaco. So we flew from there, from Ulaanbaatar to Nice, flew a helicopter over to his boat, spent three days celebrating, (laughs) 
And <laughs> I bet. And uh, it's a lot to celebrate with Jim, that. Yeah, yeah. Because Jimmy has put a pile of time and money into that. Like to finally get, you know, the Super Trophy was cool, right? And so then, from there, I flew home via uh, Paris, Salt Lake. So in, I think, five or six days, I flew completely around the globe. No way. And got to be a part of one of the biggest rams ever killed. So it happened in a five-day span. It happened in five days, yep. We flew. From home to home, five days. Home to home, five days, flew completely around the globe. And did a and world yep. world record hunt. Yeah, just an amazing, amazing wow. experience. Right? and. You know, like I said, that's it's a culmination of a lot of little steps and little things. You know, it's not talent, you know, per se. Mm -hmm. I heard you throw that word out there. It's, you know, <laughs> it's not that. You can see my my house and my little place. You know, it's just, it's luck. And it's, you know, kind of seizing opportunity. Well, there's luck, but there's talent involved in that. Yeah, no, I agree. But... It's, you know, there's a lot of things got to fall into place for you, you know, or lucky enough to get asked to go along on that journey. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So grateful. Yeah. Gratitude. <laughs> Through the roof. Yeah. And then went, you know, like meeting Jimmy has, you know, you know, completely changed my life again as far as, you know, the hunting goes and how we hunt and, you know what we get to hunt and how we get to, you know, do things is on a whole nother level, not better, just different. Mm -hmm. Right. Like raising the bar raises the bar, you know, in, a, in just in a different way, you know, mm -hmm. like anyway, it's awesome. It's been unbelievable. And it, what started out as, you know, hunter guide kind of relationship has turned into a more like family friendship. It's, you know, changed our lives, my family's life and my life, you know, in super positive ways. Mm -hmm. So you have gotten to develop a relationship with Jimmy and like, as you said, you know, super grateful and extremely impactful on your life and your family's life and everything like that. Um, what was it like building that relationship and, and going from just, you know, the guide side of things to actually getting to develop a true friendship and, you know, well, the, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously been a journey because the first year JJ bought the Montana sheep tag, you know, I was just out laying in the weeds looking for sheep, you know, and spent the night on the Ram. He flew in, came in, killed it that morning, took one picture and said, I gotta go, I gotta get back to work. Like I barely met him, barely shook his hand. And, you know, fortunately he bought it again the next year. And, you know, got to know him a little bit more, picked him up from the airport. Third, bought it three years in a row because <laughs> we still hadn't reached our goal mm -hmm. of killing a 200-inch ram. And um, so the third year, um, he shot a ram. We hit it back right before last light. And, you know, I stayed up there. Uh, he flew home. We videotaped it. He flew home. We looked at it on video, saw it was in the guts, knew the ram was dead. I stayed up there and just looked until I found it and had a little snafu with the outfitter that we were working with, unbeknownst to me. 
and I got put in a position, you know, to, as Jimmy puts it, have honor. And, you know, I was just honest. And our whole relationship has been built on that. And after that hunt, you know, he said, I won't work with anybody else. I only want to work with you. And, you know, so we, we kept in contact pretty good there. And then, you know, uh, that year at Sheep Show, I was there. And he was on his boat in the Bahamas or something. And he said, can you bid on a tag for me? And I said, sure. And he wanted to buy the BC Premier Tag. And he's like, how much does it go for? And so I gave him the range of what it had gone for in the past that I knew and da-da-da-da-da. Anyway, I'm there working, right? At that point in time, I'm still just, I'm hauling taxidermy out there. And so hustling. I'm hustling, right? And so Saturday night when the show is over, we got 10 pieces of taxidermy work throughout the show that we got to create, put back in a you know, trailer and get ready to roll down the highway, right? So while everybody's going to the banquet and showering and doing their thing and getting ready for the auction, we're still working. And that particular night, we had to deliver a doll sheet to a client in Reno. And I can start to tell that I'm not going to make it because BC was one of the earlier auction items or whatever. So I called Brendan and said, Brendan, are you at the auction? He goes, yeah. I said, BC's coming up. And he goes, you got a bid for me. Jimmy wants to buy the BC tag. You know, I said, okay. So Brendan calls, hey, it's starting. I said, okay, just stay on the phone with me. And, you know, it's. 50,000, 75,000. At 100,000, Jimmy calls in on my phone, beeps in on my cell phone. So I told Brennan, I said, just hold on. I got to make sure he still wants it. This is the first time I'd ever done anything like this for him, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and since then now, you know. It's changed. Yeah. I just go and he says, buy it. And I go buy it, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever. And so Jimmy calls me. I said, he, and he's on his boat in the Bahamas, and it's three hours later, right? He's like, "Did we get my tag?" I'm like, "It's going on right now, Jimmy. I gotta go." I'm, 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 I'm. I click over, and the tag had sold, and he didn't get it because I told Brendan to hold on. You know, Ugh. rough break. And Jimmy had had a cocktail, <clears throat> and when I called him back, he was not happy, right? To the point where he was kind of belligerent. And I hung up on him. And I looked at Brian Cattermas, my buddy, the taxidermist from Dakota Taxidermy. I'm like, well, that's the end of that relationship, right? Like, because he was met, like, what the F happened to my tag? You know, how do you F that up? And so we go, we finish the auction, and we leave at like 4 a.m. because we got to drive the stuff to Vegas for SCI. And that next morning, the calls start coming early, you know, texting, you know, what the fuck happened you know so you gotta edit f-bombs on this no oh. not at all do you want me to no okay i no, won't no i mean i don't no unless you got me to absolutely so. not it's real <laughs> yeah. i can't believe that's the first one i've thrown out yeah anyway what the fuck happened how do you fuck it up blah 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 i ignore him finally at noon i call him back i said jimmy just listen i said when i come to these things i'm working this is why you know, I wasn't at the auction, but I had it covered. I said, if you wouldn't have called in, you would own the tag. And I'm sorry, you're going to have to buy it next year. And he goes, I want you to be my personal hunting assistant. I'm going to Russia this summer. And I want you to go with me. 
You in? You know, so well, I'm I'm thinking he's gonna call and say you're a dumb. Yeah, it's over. You know, and the rest is history. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's taken a trip without me since. Really? So, and and every every you know he told me this a long time ago. You're either building relationships or you're tearing them down. There's no in between. Like if you're ignoring, if you don't talk to somebody and you're ignoring somebody, you're tearing it down. Mm-hmm. It's not. And so our relationship has grown leaps and bounds and he's been through lots professionally and personally and throughout it all you know and it's not just you know because you know we're just hunting buddies and it's pretty cool it's been an been an awesome journey and i've got to go to places that i never would have got to go and he'll be the first to tell you that he's got to he's done things that he never would have got to do without me mm-hmm you know, he tells me that I've changed his life because he was kind of done sheep hunting. And then we started going again and, you know, finding places to go. And now he's physically changed himself so much. There are no limits. He can go anywhere now. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's, it's been a, a win-win. Like it's one of his big sayings. If it ain't a win-win, it's a loss. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> you know, he's been extremely generous, you know, with me, not just money wise or whatever, more just as a friend. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's awesome. It's awesome. He's a, he's a incredible human being. He's a unicorn. There's a reason he's a billionaire and not many people are. Mm -hmm. And it's because he has, you know, traits and abilities that are, you know, I, I, you know, he just, he's a unicorn. He's got more energy than anybody I've ever known in my life. <laughs> like he's always working. His Hustling, band, man. His bandwidth is legendary. I tell him that all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. It's been cool. That's crazy. And he's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he'd be the first to tell you, I'm not a hunter. You know, Willie does my hunting. Which, you know, I've had people come up to me and say, you know, ah, how can you do that? You know, he, he it's like, it's like, man, that's, that's how he wants to do it. Mm-hmm. If I got, a, I went to Mongolia for 10 days scouting you know ahead of time and we were starving to death we were out of food we barbecued a marmot mm-hmm. you know <laughs> eating raw onions and marmot how that taste at the time it tastes really good <laughs> tastes but when jj great. showed up with a box of sandwiches yeah. man it was euphoric <laughs> 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 but my point is everybody does it different yeah and another saying his everybody's version of spicy is different mm-hmm. and that's how he wants to do it, and I, I love doing it for him, and it's awesome. Yeah, and well, when you have the ability to afford to do it the, that way, you can do it that way. And and time is money, right? Yeah. And and he's you know got I more money, ima- yeah. got, got more money than time. Yeah. And and so he doesn't have ten days to go sit on the hill and hope to find one. He's going to go work and take care of a million other people that he's involved with, mm-hmm. while I'm looking for the sheep. And mm-hmm. when we find it, he'll come in and you know. It's, you know, it's one way of doing it. Yeah, absolutely. So what was it like cutting your teeth coming through? I mean, and obviously that relationship definitely helped a lot, but cutting your teeth and, and, you know, getting to come up with other guides and guys along the way that you guys were helping each other and, you know, working, working off each other and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, you, you, like Bart Lancaster, I always go back to him, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, you, you have to have the ability to learn from people and be humble and listen. And, you know, and I've fortunately, and John Barker, you know, 
was I learned a pile from him about judging sheep and looking at horn and, you know, all of it. Mm -hmm. Right. And you, you know, you just got to go into it, not being thinking, you know, it all at the beginning. And I'm still that way. Like, you know, I love having people tell me what they think something scores and bouncing numbers off and how to stalk an animal, you know, like, you know, it's a team effort when you're on the hill and, and, um, it's been awesome. I've, you know, coming, when you say coming up through the ranks, like, you know, like I said, I've, I've got to hunt with so many awesome guides, you know, the Lancasters, all of them, you know, Bart, Clay, Jim, you know, that whole family of people and all the people, the guys that work with them. Kelly Weeb is a guy that was on that first Kluwani hunt that's become one of my really, really good friends. And he's one of the best sheep guides out there, period. Mm-hmm. Old bugger's hips wearing out, but <laughs> hopefully he listens to this someday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that, that's been one of the best things. And that's, those are relationships that have lasted the longest too, right? Like, you know, meeting Jake Franklin for the first time. I'd heard his name lots and seen him at sheep shows, but finally getting to spend some time with him. What an awesome dude. Yeah. And, you know, Cody Wetmore, mm-hmm. who, you know, I know you interviewed too. You know, he's yeah. a young kid that is just on the ascent, right? That is. Well, and that actually was going to be my next question. So what's it like doing all this and now you're kind of on the end of Bart, you know, and, and you're helping out younger guys and newer guys coming into it and wanting to get involved. And how has that been in that role reversal for you? It's, it's awesome. And, you, you know, know, going from yeah mentoring yep. to being the mentor. You got to, and I think you got to teach with humility too, right? Like not you know, being, this is how you do it. And, you know, you got to let them kind of do their thing too, and just lead by example. And, and, you know, in the, in the guiding world, so much of it is just experience. And what I've told them, the best advice I can give them is just go on as many hunts as you can go on. Just go. Cause every single hunt is different. You know, every stock is different. Every Ram is built different. You know, everything is different. Every shot's going to be different. So the more you do, the more situations you run into, you know, the less surprises happen and which they still do. But yeah, Al McKinney has worked with me a lot. He's a, you know, younger guy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think he might be 40 now. Um, (laughs) Aging myself. (laughs) um, They've been unbelievable partners and buddies and not just in hunting either, you know they become friends of my family and their families. And, you know, that's the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. And there's so much more to it than just time in the field. Oh, totally. And everybody has their things they are good at, including myself and every, and things that, you know, you need to lean on somebody else for, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's so much importance to that, you know, when you get into a team, hundred percent you know, and, and people being able to, work with each other and recognize strengths and then also be able to help it fill in the gaps when there's weakness. You know? That That's the ability of a leader, right? And that's the other thing too, is there's, there's always a leader, 
and they're in a, on a sheep hunt that I found, there's one guy that has to make the call, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, yes, that's the sheep we're going to kill in, in most situations, right? Like when you're looking for a legal ram, it depends on the clientele too, right? Like mm-hmm. back to Jimmy world, like when you, you know, he's hunted so much and we've been on so many, it comes down to like, you're looking for an elite, elite animal and, you know, there's a big difference if it's 173 or 175, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to come shoot a 173. Mm-hmm. So that two inches is pretty critical. And there has to be a guy that says, yes, I think he's 175. Call Jimmy, get him here, right? Like that's a big that's a big step to go spend three days and look for rams, you know, like how I started, just mm-hmm. being a sheep scout and there was no pressure and I didn't have to make a call, I didn't have to age, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> to now everybody's looking at you and when something goes wrong then everybody's looking at you going okay what do we do next and you know that just comes from experience and doing it and having confidence and believing in yourself and your team and the whole thing Mm -hmm. so because something seems to always go wrong eventually Mm -hmm. you know at some point in time oh yeah like I don't know there's been some probably have gone perfectly just like you planned them but not always, so. They usually don't. Yeah. So. So what's your favorite hunt that you've done for yourself? I mean, obviously, you know, not only have you guided all over the place, but you've taken quite a few animals yourself. Um, well, if, if I had to pick a favorite sheep to hunt, it'd be stone sheep for sure. And what, what makes it? Just they're, you know... Finding them is so, finding a great one is unique and hard. And it's that diamond in the rough thing when you see a big stone sheep, you know. And Jimmy bought me a stone sheep hunt back in 2013. And I got to go up with the outfitter himself, crazy Hungarian, I call him, (laughs) Andre Pipic. He owned Bessa River Outfitters at the time. He doesn't anymore. But him and I put backpacks on and cruised his area and looked at, you know, I don't know, 70-some rams. And, you know, it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. And there was a nine-year-old over-the-nose, you know, legal, beautiful ram laying next to, you know, 11-year-old broom to the two-year laying next to him. And Andre's like, which one do you want to shoot? Like, I'm shooting the broomer, man. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. was, it was cool to be able to make the decision for myself. You know what I mean? Not for somebody else, you know, saying, man, I think you should kill the older Ram. It was fun being able to make that decision myself. Killed it. It was late. We slept on the hill, ate a backstrap over a fire, slept on our rain gear. You know what I mean? Like the true backpack sheep deal. experience. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, and it's funny cause there's different levels of the experience you know, with sheep hunting and, and I went on a, on a backcountry sheep hunt, um, in BC and it will, a lot of it was off horseback. And I, I, when I came back, I called Brendan and I was like, I loved the hunt. It was absolutely amazing, but I wish that we had opportunity to do more spike camping and more backpacking, you know, cause in my head, that was what I had envisioned, you know, maybe go in 12 hours or 14 hours on horseback, get off. And then you spike camp for 10 days. And uh, it wasn't that experience. 
Horses can be frustrating. They're uh, they're a double-edged sword. They're a necessity to get to an area, but when you're hunting with horses, they take longer to get ready, and you know, hopefully, I, you find I, them all in the morning. I couldn't agree with you more. We've had you know on that hunt that I was telling you about, we had taken horses to our you know a spike camp, and then we backpacked from there. We got back, got the horses, rode back to a main camp, and that's you know spent the night there and um i never forget andre saying i'm like don't we need to tie the horses up and he's like no they never pull camp you know this time of year they were gone the next morning oh, fogged in we were there for three days luckily we had lots to eat and a stone cheap mm -hmm. but yeah horses horses can be frustrating and and awesome all in the same right like mm -hmm. but uh yeah i've i like i said and i've been so fortunate to get to you know, hunting whitetails is my passion. Mm -hmm. And that double pedestal right there, both those bucks were killed from the same tree stand three years apart on the same day, really? December 7th in Kansas. And, you know, just little things like that is just pretty cool. And I, Jimmy bought a farm in Kansas and I got to go hunting there last year and got to, got to hunt a 194 inch whitetail, which is, you know, incredible. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. And you have quite the Kansas hunt coming up this year, if I'm not mistaken, right? I do. Yeah. I, Jimmy bought me a governor's tag <laughs> and I drew an archery tag. So I have two tags. Really? For Kansas. Yeah. So what's your goal with, with the governor's tag? Um, just shoot an awesome old buck. Like, you know, just an old one, mm -hmm. old cool deer and go see my buddy, Sean Evans down there. He's awesome and hunt with Mark Wimpy and hunt with JJ and, you know, it's Have a camaraderie a thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, the experience to get to the, to get to go do it. It means more now than, you know, having to kill something mm -hmm. to justify the trip or the money or the means, you know, mm -hmm. I'm excited to go spend time with people that I love and, and in a place that I'm truly, you know, passionate about Kansas whitetails are awesome i have not killed a whitetail yet this last year in montana i was like this is my year i'm gonna kill a whitetail no matter what why don't you come here and kill one then you can flip-flop for the your own whitetail let's do it on my back porch i'd love to it's done i mean so last <laughs> night was the first night i ever flip-flopped a whitetail and i've done access you know cheap um barnyard cheap um, can you even make a mule deer taste good doing that? Oh, absolutely. So, and, and I talked to someone else about this the other day. Um, uh, I hate to name drop, but I'm going to name drop. <laughs> I really try to avoid it as much as I can. Um, so Randy Ulmer told me that when I cooked flip flop and he was there and he ate it, it was the best mule deer he ever ate in his life. That's quite, that's quite the compliment. That is. Cause um, he's eating a lot of it. He's eating a lot of mule deer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he was convinced that I killed it in a field, you know, that it was a, that it was basically a farm race, well-fed yeah. buck. And it was a California public land mule deer. Um, and then I cooked a Utah mule deer, uh, for Don on the East coast. And Don said, this is the best wild game I've ever had in my life. That was a mule deer. That was a mule deer leg. And, uh, for someone who's probably eaten game from, yeah. You know, 90% of the planet. You name it. 
I'll take that compliment as that's, well. That's a big one. That you know, it's humbling, humbling for sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, I can make a mule deer taste good. Yeah, you obviously you have confidence to do that <laughs> in front of that company, right? Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. That's awesome. Um, you know, and and uh, but yeah. So last night we did a, a whitetail flip flop at Brendan's house, and it was amazing. I loved it. I got to I got to experience it. You will. We will. Absolutely. I'd love to. Let's fucking do it. Uh, hey, I'm in. We got a bunch of whitetails right down there. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, so I mean last year that was my goal, whitetail. I'm going to get it done and outstepped a 4 by 5 27 inch beautiful mule deer and can't pass that up. Shot him in the neck at 300 yards on a general Montana public land tag and you know, it was wait a year for the whitetail. Yeah, it was, you know, I mean, I ended up losing the head and, you know, all that. But so all I have is pictures. That's okay, though. Would a dog drag it away or what? Yeah, but um, so I left Montana and went straight down into a desert sheep hunt. And we were staying in a 10-acre ranch because livestock horses and stuff like that, running the sheep hunts with Kika. And, um. I did not realize that down in the desert in California, people really like to go and they take their home dogs that they don't want anymore and they kick them free in the desert. Uh, so it's not coyotes or anything like that. It was, you know, pipples and German shepherds that people had kicked out on the side of the freeway. So it's, you know, feral, feral yeah. dogs. And they came into camp and we were out sheep hunting. And drug your head away. Stole the head, couldn't find hide nor hair of it. and It was gone. But that's okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was the experience, you know, I, I glassed the buck up from, from a place that's very sacred and dear to me. And you know, it was right off my grandfather's, um, grave essentially. And, and his memorial and plaque and that's awesome. Boom. That is awesome. Boom. Spotted him at 1100 yards and, and got into 310 and smoked him in the neck. And one of your exceptional abilities is taking pictures. So you got great pictures. And I did. They live forever. I didn't. So when I hunt for myself, I don't bring my camera really because I just don't. Yeah. I'm not in it for photographing my own hunts. You know, I like to memorialize other people's hunting experiences. And mine is like, cool, I'll take some pictures with my phone and, you know, try to make it as nice as I can and, and leave it at that. And. I don't think after that hunt that I I will all, I will always have my camera in my pack because what, of losing that head. What's next on your bucket list uh, personally? That's a really good question. Um, so last year was, I mean, just a monumental year for me on uh, adventure and experience. And I kind of was like, I don't know what I can do this year to outdo what I did last year. And I'm always trying to raise my bar higher and higher and push harder and harder. Um, and I've already outdone myself a little bit, you know, with trip to the East Coast and kind of other things that have been going on. And um, my bucket list for this year, man, it was definitely BC for 40 days. Yeah, that's on hold right which now. Which is kind of on hold. Yeah. Um, but I'm finding that with that free 40 days and getting to be in the lower 48, there's a lot more adventure and experience that I'm going to get to go on and, um, really looking forward to 
those yeah and and getting to get into new sheep country and new species that i haven't gotten to be on hunts and you know maybe jump on a billy hunt and you know some mule deer hunts that are just insane unlimited sheep tag hunt maybe unlimited sheep tag hunt maybe and you know i'm, I'm super jacked and i know somebody that just happens to have one i know right so you know and and that's going to be the backpack experience that i was searching for in bc yeah except that it'll get to be in montana and yep you know that's that's about like we talked about earlier adjusting to adversity and making the best of it right mm -hmm. that's what everybody in this country's well not everybody but <laughs> most of us are trying to do yeah you know if we could only instill in everybody that you know you can adjust and you can overcome yeah. and anybody can do it and it doesn't matter it's just all about you know sticking through the hardest times possible and the hardest times imaginable and coming out the other side and sometimes it takes coming out the other side to realize the benefits and positives that come out of the darkest storm and, and the worst weather, you know, but when you come out that other side and can grasp that reality, it makes the next storm, I don't want to say pleasurable, but it makes the next storm comforting because you know, no matter what, or I know, I should sp I'll speak for myself. I know no matter what coming out of that storm, the reward is going to outweigh any of the negative. It's just like, it's like, Every mountain you climb, just another, knock down another wall, right? Yeah. Now you know you can do it. Just keep going. Yeah. Right? So in every podcast, there's a Deadeye Minute, Deadeye Outfitters, great guys, wonderful people. Um, they sponsor the podcast, and they sponsor a question in every podcast. And uh, sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's it's always a, up to my imagination, which is terrible and the best part of it all in the same time. Um, so my dead eye question for you would be, what does the hunt experience mean to you? You know, start to finish, what does it entail from scouting to success? What is the hunt experience for you? You know, I, for me personally, you know, it's organic you know it's something that i can't imagine living without like i think about it all the time you know whether it's going on a hunt for somebody else or going on a hunt for myself you know um man it's it's everything it's everything you know that i truly feel like is in my soul is the being outdoors, the challenge, the elements, you know, if it's hard or if, you know what I mean? Like, and, you know, I don't know if this is answering your question totally, but, you know, to be able to stumble through life and make a living doing that is even more rewarding. You know, getting to wake up every day and do stuff that I love has been one of my goals since I was young. And it hasn't always worked out that way, but for the most part, you know, it, it's, you know, hunting and outdoors has created an, a, a way for me to make a living doing what I am truly passionate about, mostly. Mm -hmm. Like I said, not all the time, mm -hmm. you know, but the biggest bulk of my life is is around being outdoors and, and hunting and and the side effect of that is making a living doing it, which has been awesome. <laughs> Irreplaceable for sure. Yeah. 
what's the what's the challenge i mean what are some of the challenges that you've had in the has there ever been any hunts where you've almost wanted to throw in the towel and quit or have you always just you you hit that wall i think everybody hits that wall you know and it was said you know you find out in three days if you're really a sheep hunter or not um but what's that have you ever had that much of a challenge in it or have you always been able to kind of be like this is challenging and i can get through it the ladrones in new mexico are a godforsaken place i sat in that mountain range for three straight days and did not see a sheep didn't mm-hmm. see a you didn't see anything and you know thankfully to gt nun and quadai silva they assured me that sheep lived there and <laughs> that there was a target ram that was i never think about throwing in the towel i've never done that right until you run out of time mm-hmm. um ron skaronsky i um I'm sure people will recognize his name he's mm-hmm. a you know pretty well-renowned hunter he had a sheep tag out in oregon and we ran out of time on his hunt, bow hunting sheep so it was you know Let's just make this more difficult. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the Ladrones were frustrating. It was hot as hell. And like I said, it was... A, and, you know, I, my instinct was to take off walking. And in that country, that's not really the way to do it. You just keep looking and keep glassing and keep looking. And and um, I learned a lot from those guys that live down there on that one about patience and sticking to it. Mm-hmm. And we eventually killed an awesome ram. Yeah. The one we were looking for. That's so, good. Yeah. Right. That's getting through the other side on one, and, yeah, it's helped. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it makes the next time that happens a little bit easier. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So. So you've had the opportunity to do a lot of pretty neat conservation stuff, right? And I think you've been on more transplants than just one, or is it just the, just the one? Um, that's the only one. Okay. Yeah. And. When you got the phone call to be on board with that and kind of get involved, what was that like for you? And we're talking about Kuyu Conservation Direct. Yeah. And- um, you know what? It started early. You know, Brendan called me right away, you know, probably a year and a half, you know, looking Prior for to it. Yeah, looking for a place to go with sheep, mm-hmm. right? And kind of, you know, a lot of dead end roads and blah, blah, blah. And, and then finally, you know, I got a hold of Brett Wiedemann over in North Dakota and and I said, Hey, this is what Brendan has in mind. Do you have any ideas? And, you know, put them in touch and then they took off with it. Mm-hmm. But um to have to be invited, to have Brendan ask me to be a part of that and it's one of the coolest things that I've been a part of like I think we talked about that day, you know, I've been a part of a lot of watching a lot of them die. And to put your hands on one you know, that was being transplanted to start a whole new herd, you know, planting that tree that, you know, you'll never probably enjoy the shade of. That's a cool feeling, mm-hmm. you know, and getting to go with the sheep to North Dakota and watching them get released in their new home. And they look like they were supposed to be there. And, you know, it's one of the coolest things in hunting that I've ever been a part of. It was awesome. And, you know, hopefully we can do some more in the future. Right. Yeah, it was... uh and I got to meet you and yeah. Jake Franklin, and he ain't no cowboy. <laughs> uh, no, it was awesome. It was a great, great group of guys. And then the the organic 
you know, part of all that was, you know, the people just pitching in and the volunteers from Kuyu to put up the money and, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, a, you can't make it up. The story tells itself and it's just, it's a lot of people came together to do a great thing. So and, how was the release in North Dakota? Cause I wasn't on that release. I went out down to the Antelope Island release. It was, it was incredible. We had two different locations and, you know, we met up with the tribal council people and I'm telling you, uh, you know, there were sheep in this area, you know, a long time ago. Yeah, I think it's like 100, 200 years ago. Yeah, I was going to say 150 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sheep ran off and literally started grazing. And it was like, man, that's, that's what it's supposed to look like here. And it was super cool to see that, like mm-hmm. to put a little bow on it. Also with, you know a little anxiety and anticipation, right? Like it's not over yet. You're they waiting gotta, on test results. They got to have, yeah. But not only that, but they got to have lambs and they got to breed and they got to, they'll have to be managed, you know? And, you know, so to have it be a total success is a long-term thing, right? Mm-hmm. When the first 10 year old ram gets harvested and all that money goes back into that program, you know, then it's, then it's kind of come full circle. But, the first couple steps are pretty amazing, mm-hmm. you know, and the, and the terrain in the country in North Dakota where those sheep are just is, you know, it's not vast, but what's there is really, really good. And I think they'll do great. Yeah. And I think that, you know, like you were saying, getting to put hands on sheep, live sheep, pregnant ewes, you know, and everything like that and taking 55 and now the herd I think is already 83 yeah um, or 84 I can't remember the exact number and to think that everybody that was there got to play a role in that and got to play a role in the preservation of a species um, and and the continuance of the tradition of sheep hunting ultimately because you know hopefully as you said there'll be a day when they can be hunted and you know there's 10 year old rams which I mean, rams from that genetics at 10 years old are going to be... It's going to be a valuable thing. Stud rams. It's going to be a valuable thing. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, it's just one of those experiences you can't... No. And like I said, there was no, you know, agendas, you know. That was the beauty of it. It was, you know, obviously Brendan's idea and a bunch of people came together to make that idea come to fruition. And, you know, nobody was really after a pat on the back or, a, you know, everybody kind of knew that just doing it was the right thing to do. And the, and, and it, it made it awesome. And having it be a success and watching those sheep run off those trailers and the, you know, new States and new <laughs> mountains and new areas is overwhelming. Really. It was awesome. Yeah. And, I'm going to go down to Salt Lake this week or tomorrow. I'll leave for Salt Lake and probably go hit Antelope Island Monday morning. Um, go to try to find some sheep. We, I talked to Brett, you know, last week and he said, you know, all the sheep are alive that we transplanted and he was going to do a lamb count, you know, here eventually I'm waiting to hear, but yeah, I, I can't wait to go see that herd. And, you know, Brett wants me to work with him on managing him you know, for a couple of years and make sure, you know, the right things are happening over there and everything's good. Yeah. It's exciting. Mm-hmm. I'm just, 
grateful to be a part of it. Right. So, and, and this will probably be the last question. What, when you gauge the success of a hunt, do you gauge the success of the hunt? I mean, every hunt, everyone always says every hunt is successful and every hunt is, you know, whether you fill a tag or you don't. In my opinion, I gauge a hunt on success as, as a punch tag because that's, no matter what, that's my goal, right? That's my goal. Um, and, it, excuse me, it's it's different for everybody. Everybody has their own opinion and everybody has their own experience. Um, for you, what do you gauge a successful hunt on? Well, the punch tag part of it is the conservation part of it, right? There's mm-hmm. a reason they issue that tag. And ultimately, in the big picture, you know, filling that tag does good for the species, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously that's success. Um, in my own personal, you know, hunting experience, success is, you know, especially the older I get, success is more getting to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, the gratitude of being out there, hearing an elk bugle, sitting in a tree stand, you know, um, as far as, you know, client hunting stuff, you know, uh, that a lot of that depends on the client, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you spend 300,000 bucks on a tag. Success is success punch Success is tag. punch tag and, and target animal, right? And no matter how you want to spin it, if that doesn't happen, you know, it's not totally successful, mm-hmm. right? You can have a good experience and you can do all that, but, you know, shoot the wrong ram or shoot a ram that you walk up to and, you know, and fortunately or unfortunately, score is a big thing. That's the reason a lot of these animals have value is because we score them. Mm-hmm. And it's not that important to me. Like, I had just as much fun shooting a cow elk last year, late season, as, you know, whacking a, you know, Pope and Young bull. But for, for you know, most of the hunting world, you know, success is punching a tag and getting a, you know, you know, quote unquote, record book animal. Mm-hmm. And... But for me, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's everything, you know, like it's the experience, it's the camaraderie, it's the people. And then, you know, hopefully you successfully fill a tag for the conservation aspect of it. And when it's 194 inch whitetail in Kansas, man, it's, it's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. And, but in Montana, I had little Willie with me and we stalked a whitetail in the rut and I whacked him with my bow down here right below the house. And I can't say that, you know, the 194 inch buck means more than that. Mm-hmm. Right. Both awesome success and incredible experiences. And passing along the tradition to your son and the ethics. Which is extremely important mm-hmm. and valuable. Not only to, to him, but to me too. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Right on. Well, we'll end with that good place thank you man thank you thanks for coming to my house absolutely man i can't yeah words can't express it thanks for tuning into the show folks if you'd like to check us out online our website is www.theflipflopguide.co you can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard we encourage this and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across america You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops.
from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website, Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.